Friends, if you've read the books of Kings, especially in Holy Scripture, you know that the vast majority of Hebrew kings get failing marks. Any of you ever review your um, report card, old report cards with your children? Anyway, um, very few Hebrew kings got passing grades. Even passing, most of them were actually D minuses or Fs. They actually just missed the mark so terribly. But a few didn't. Perhaps the best king ever, at least in the writer uh, of the king's narrative, says there was no king as good as Hezekiah who lived before him, no, no king who was as good, was as faithful as he was, who came after him. That means he was better than David, who is sort of the ideal held up frequently. Now, Hezekiah wasn't perfect, for sure, but he was faithful. He lived into perhaps the image that Psalm 2 presents, that the, the king would be like God's adopted son, and they would have this especially intimate father-son relationship, and also he was called the Lord's anointed. Now, Hezekiah lived in the 8th century before Christ at a time when Assyria, ancient Iraq, was the great superpower of the day. And Hezekiah had an inferior or a dependent relationship upon the present Assyrian king, Sennacherib, which means that the kingdom of Judah, over which Hezekiah reigned, owed a great amount of tribute and tax to their, Syri their Assyrian overlord. And in return, what Sennacherib promised Judah was protection from anybody else. Of course, they were the biggest bully in the whole neighborhood. Um, they could also require, by the way, that Judah join them in battle to fight a mutual enemy if, if that was necessary. In our text, uh, Hezekiah has decided to rebel, which means he's stopped paying the tax. And Sennacherib notices, and he takes this action. He advances on the kingdom of Judah, and he demolishes all of the fortified cities in the nation, except Jerusalem itself. And now he's intent on destroying that great city, that capital as well. Well, thinking better of his act of rebellion, Hezekiah decides to repent and send a large amount of gold and silver to Sennacherib as sort of his uh, apology for even thinking about rebelling, hoping that would end the matter right there. But surprisingly, Sennacherib was completely unmoved and decided the tribute wasn't sufficient. His predecessors had already destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. The Hebrew kingdom had split ten tribes in the north Israel, two tribes in the, in the south Judah. In the year 722, Sennacherib's predecessor invaded and destroyed Israel and wiped it off the map. Carried many of those people away, imported a lot of foreign people into that area. And now it seems he was intent on destroying what was left of the Hebrew people in the southern kingdom of Judah. So Sennacherib demanded of Hezekiah unconditional surrender of the city of Jerusalem. He threatened to attack and slaughter its inhabitants if they refused. Hezekiah is confronted by a real crisis. What should he do? 
trying to further pressure Hezekiah, the officials representing Sennacherib, chiefly the Rabshakeh, <laughs> we talked about how do you pronounce this, anyway, that's our best uh, attempt, and two other representatives of Sennacherib meet with three representatives of Hezekiah within earshot of the walls of Jerusalem. And as Leslie comes to read our text, notice what a brilliant propagandist this Rabshakeh turns out to be. He's really quite brilliant as he makes his case. The people have no hope and better surrender or else. The first reading is not in your bulletin, Second Kings eighteen nineteen through 30. The Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you base this confidence of yours? Do you think mere words are strategy and power for war? On whom do you now rely that you have rebelled against me? See, you are relying now on Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, we rely on the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you rely on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah, said to the Rabshakeh, Please, speak to your servants in the Aramaic language, for we understand it. Don't speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the people sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you rely on the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So when Hezekiah heard those words, and you can understand that Rabshakeh is brilliant in his propaganda, he's really upset. He rents his clothes, he covers himself with sackcloth, he goes into the temple to seek God's guidance. And in response to his terrible anxiety, the prophet Isaiah sent this message. Thus says Yahweh, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. 
I myself will put a spirit in him so he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And then Hezekiah received a letter from Sennacherib repeating the threats made earlier on his behalf by the Rabshakeh. He read the letter and once again went up into the temple of the Lord for guidance. 2 Kings 19, 15 through 19. This is in your bulletin. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have hurled their gods into the fire, though they were no gods but the work of human hands, wood and stone, and so they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, I pray you, from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. The word of the Lord. So Hezekiah utters a faith-filled prayer which includes three elements which illustrate his trust in Yahweh. The prayer begins by praising God as the creator of heaven and earth and the real king over every earthly kingdom. Second, the prayer includes Hezekiah's complaint that Sennacherib has come to mock Yahweh, the one living and true God, noting the fact that in the recent past, Assyrian kings, Sennacherib included, have laid waste many other nations, showing their respective gods to be impotent and simply images, well, the images that they see are simply the creation of human hands. And finally, Hezekiah's prayer ends with his request for God's intervention. It's a very, very honest prayer. So now, Yahweh, our God, save us. I pray you. From Sennacherib's hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know you, Yahweh, are God alone. Well, throughout this entire narrative, Hezekiah lives up to the writer's description of him earlier in chapter 18, that he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah after him or among all who were before him. Now, the Hebrew verb used here to describe Hezekiah's trust in God is the the verb bata in Hebrew. That same verb is used five times in our text, mostly by the rabshakeh, and is translated there, rely on. It's the same word. As he tries to put fear into the hearts of King Hezekiah and his soldiers who were trusting or relying on God for rescue. According to Old Testament scholar John Oswalt, Bata expresses the sense of well-being and security which results from having someone or something in whom to place confidence, to positively rely on. The Old Testament contrasts the validity of that kind of confidence 
which comes from reliance on God with the folly of other kinds of security. All other kinds of security. It is made plain that all such trust will end in disgrace and shame, whereas those who hope in God alone will be delivered from their enemies, their prayers will be answered, they will walk in straight paths, they will be given joy and gladness, they will know inner peace and absence of fear. And finally, Oswald writes, unlike the pagan religions, where unremitted anxiety was the rule, the Hebrew religion knew a God whose chief characteristic was faithfulness and trustworthiness. Well, you're probably wondering, well, what's the rest of the story? God spoke about what would happen to Sennacherib later in verse 28, as if he's in a conversation with him. Because you have raged against me and your arrogance has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. A punishment, by the way, that Assyria often inflicted on captive peoples as they were led away into bondage. I will turn you back by the way in which you came. He promises further concerning Sennacherib. You shall not come into the city, shoot an arrow there, come before it with a shield or cast up a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into this city, says Yahweh. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. This whole fall we've been preaching about our covenant relationship with God and this statement that for my servant David's sake I'm going to act means in simple parlance, I'm now going to prove true to my covenant promises that I made to Abraham, Moses, and most recently King David. Well, the narrator finally reports that the angel of the Lord struck down thousands of Assyrian soldiers in a single night, which led Sennacherib to lose heart, to abandon his siege and return to Nineveh, where some years later, Isaiah's words come true and Sennacherib is actually murdered by the sword with, by two of his own sons. So this miraculous deliverance of Jerusalem in the face of this huge army that surrounds it is even recorded in Assyrian history. And it, it's a pretty honest recording, even though it doesn't admit defeat. But this is what an ancient record says that we have unearthed. Sennacherib brags that he defeated all the fortress cities of Judah. And that's completely true, except Jerusalem. And then he adds, Hezekiah, I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. I surrounded him with earthwork in order to molest those who were leaving Jerusalem. Notice what he says and what he doesn't say. He says he trapped Hezekiah and the residents of Jerusalem. He cages Hezekiah like a bird. He doesn't claim, amazingly, to have conquered or destroyed the city because, in fact, he left it unmolested. And that's simply a historic fact. The year is 701 B.C. And next to the Exodus event, this is maybe the most dramatic rescue of the Hebrew people by God in all of the Hebrew Bible. It's really quite miraculous. So Hezekiah's deep trust provides us with a model for our faith today. Sennacherib has surrounded the city with a huge army. 
you heard how his propaganda says, look, we'll gladly give you a few thousand horses if you can just put people on them. Now, you don't have enough people to fight for you to even uh, use the horses we're willing to freely give you. And you, know, you have no chance of winning this conflict. Zero. None. And yet, Hezekiah stays true, trusts in God, and eventually Sennacherib withdraws quietly and simply goes home to Nineveh. So Hezekiah's deep trust in God provides us with a model for our faith today. And in case you get the idea that Hezekiah may be just this spiritual giant who wasn't pragmatic at all and didn't take any practical steps to protect his kingdom, then uh, let me remind you of two important archaeological discoveries which confirm his pragmatism as well. The writer of 2 Kings mentions briefly his achievement, and this is wonderful, it's an ama amazing engineering marvel in the 8th century before Christ. The city of Jerusalem had a wonderful source of water, but it was outside the city walls. It's called the Gihon Spring. So Hezekiah figured out, in case of a, a siege, we need to bring that water source inside. To do that, he got two groups of workers with very primitive tools, probably the equivalent of a pickaxe, and he had these two teams of, of workers. One started at the Pool of Siloam, mentioned later in the ministry of Jesus himself. It's inside the walled city. And the Gihon Spring, and these two group of workers have the job of meeting in the middle. They have their tools, and that's it. They're cutting through solid rock. And what they finally do is carve a curving 583-yard-long tunnel through solid rock, and yes, they eventually meet in the middle. And so today, tourists can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel in ankle-to-knee-deep water and see this amazing engineering feat. In fact, I have a photo of a famous American archaeologist making his way through Hezekiah's tunnel, someone you might <laughs> recognize. And another wise defensive measure was Hezekiah's work to strengthen the northern city wall. On three sides, ancient Jerusalem really had uh, the Valley of Hinnom and the Kidron Valley. In other words, it had a great, uh, uh, the city was on a mound and it fell off. But on the northern end, it was simply flat ground, welcoming invaders to come right to the city wall on completely flat, very convenient ground. Well, you can see today in modern Jerusalem, surrounding modern buildings, we found Hezekiah's broad wall. This is the northernmost wall. It's as wide as from where Emily's sitting here from me. This is how wide it is. And he built this gigantic uh, broad wall to be a more sure defense on the northern side. So this was the very northern edge of the city in the 8th century before Christ. By Jesus' time, the city's probably twice as big, uh, expanded north. But if you go to Jerusalem today, you can visit Hezekiah's wall. Thank you, Lee, for showing those. Friends, some years ago, a speedboat driver, really a racing boat driver, was in a terrible racing accident. He was near top speed when his boat veered a bit, hit a wave, and was literally sent spinning in the air. He was thrown from the boat, propelled deeply underwater, so deep, in fact, he had no idea in which direction was the surface. He had to remain calm and wait for the buoyancy of his life vest 
to begin pulling him up. And once he discovered which direction that was, he swam to the surface. Sometimes, friends, we find ourselves surrounded by terrifying options, much like Hezekiah. Too deeply immersed in our own problems to know which way is up. And when that happens, we need to trust God and wait for our Redeemer to pull us in the right direction. So for what life situations do you need to trust that the triune God is present and able to pull you through? For a challenging financial situation where there's a gap between your current lifestyle and your income? For a work relationship which is toxic? For an addiction issue? For your marriage relationship which isn't healthy at present? for a life-threatening illness or chronic pain for which your physician has told you there is no simple answer, for the loss you feel following the death of your spouse or a child or a parent or a dear friend, or for a deep depression you feel in spite of your faith in Christ. Friends, whatever you are facing, Whatever any of us are facing, we are all invited to put our trust in God, to rely on God, as did King Hezekiah. Even when surrounded by a huge army from the greatest superpower of the day, with really no hope of escaping, even then, God proved faithful and trustworthy. So I encourage you to trust in, to rely upon God, no matter what challenges what struggles you face because the triune God remains faithful to his covenant promises. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.